is a special edition of This Is Whole Life with our good friend Puck, or you may know him as Furman Ford Jr. Fordham. Fordham? Mm -hmm. Did I get that wrong? I spelt it wrong. Well, it wrong. doesn't matter. <laughs> That's when you know you have family in the house when you can tell you can say their name wrong and they still say that doesn't matter. But thank you for being here. This is a continuing conversation from our episode last week, where uh, Puck was our featured speaker this past week, who had an amazing message. Please go back and listen to episode three forty nine. That is where you'll hear that conversation. So it is a, a Friday evening, and this is our gift to you: a little extra talk. And uh, Ken, uh, since you were, yeah, uh, you kind of know where you wanted this to go. So let's let you start I it off. I wanted to have a little conversation. Uh, you know, we're celebrating Black History Month in February. And uh, and so one of the things that uh, we like to do here at Whole Life is, is celebrate in a variety of ways. We had a concert last Saturday night. We had Furman come in to speak. I think one of the things that, that we're always richer is when we hear the gospel through the lens of other cultures and other ways of seeing things. And so... Back in about 2017, Furman, uh, whose uh, nickname is Puck, and so I'm going to revert over that, Puck and I got to know each other, and we actually had a series of very uncomfortable conversations. I don't know how uncomfortable it was for you, Puck. It was at times pretty uncomfortable for me, if I'm going to be vulnerable and real, um, because it's a difficult thing to to say things that you know may sound ignorant <laughs> to someone else or that your worry is going to really offend the other person in that conversation be, not you don't want to offend but you you'd like have questions and you're not just sure how to and so we were able to have some of those real conversations um, back and forth and I remember more than a few times where uh, where I I, I I had never seen it that way. I never thought about that. And I remember a couple times you saying, "Well, Ken, I I had never seen it through your eyes like that before. That that's different." And so I just thought maybe um, for this Friday night bonus episode, we could just have a little bit of a conversation. We'll see where it goes. I don't really have an agenda for it. I haven't prepped you ahead of time, mm -hmm. but maybe maybe it'll be uncomfortable. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Uh, Melanie and Randy, feel free to join in as you feel comfortable <laughs> or uncomfortable. And, and let me add a little bit, Ken. And and yeah. Yes, you know, just to try to create a little context, you know, we were in Nashville and created, uh, we called it Imagine Nashville, but it was a pastoral fellowship of pastors from two different conferences, the state conference, the regional conference. So we had uh, blacks, whites, uh, some Latinos, et cetera. And traditionally, just for those of you who may not be super familiar with some of the terms we're throwing out there, regional conference within the Seventh-day Adventist Church usually comes in the context of a predominantly black African-American, uh, but also could be uh, Caribbean, but just tends to be um, in that context, whereas oftentimes the state conferences tend to be more Anglo, more Caucasian. And uh, the, if you're wanting to kind of have the history of that, we had Dana Edmond here a year ago. Go back a year in the archives. You can look that up. He'll tell you a lot more about that, but I wanted to go ahead and clarify that really quick yeah, for anybody great. who might be listening. Great. So yeah, we would we just kind of had this opportunity, and it was right around the time that Colin Kaepernick was kneeling. Correct. Yep. And it just made us realize, whoa, I come from a context that sees this this way. You come from a context that sees it a different way. One of the things I remember you saying, Ken, and it was probably the first aha moment to me. I remember you telling me, and if I get some of this wrong, please yeah. clarify, that your father or grandfather 
when the TV would go off late at night, they would stop the broadcast. Yes, that actually was a thing, kids. There was a time where <laughs> where the TV actually would quit broadcasting. Yeah, and, and have those, those, yeah, those yeah, color, yeah. the rainbow thing. Yeah, yeah. Stupid static. They would play <laughs> the, the national the anthem. national anthem, yep. and it was either your father or grandfather who you said would stand up. Yeah. It was like, mandatory. Everybody stood up. Yeah. It was like, if the national anthem's playing, it doesn't matter what time of day, night, what you're doing, you stand up, show respect, and when it's over, you can go back to doing whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And and that helped me see, wow, Ken is coming from a lens, Ken is viewing through a lens where what Colin Kaepernick was doing couldn't even be heard because it was blatantly disrespectful to everything that his, I keep saying father or grandfather, I don't know which. It all fits. Okay, no problem. <laughs> the, I mean, it would be the equivalent of me trying to have a conversation with you, but all I'm doing is cursing you out. Well, maybe maybe another illustration would be a little bit of um, you're trying to get my attention, so you slap my face. Yes, yes. Thank and you're you. like, well, but you're not paying attention yeah. to me. Slap, <laughs> and, and 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 so, which doesn't which doesn't negate the fact that there was a there's this, and that was my aha moment mm-hmm. was, but you're not paying attention to something that's really hurtful and mm-hmm. painful, and that was kind of my ha- aha moment was to hear you and some of the other black pastors that we were chatting with was saying, you know, we don't understand. We have a problem in America with, with uh, black men and women being, being victimized. Um, And how do we get your, your attention? How do we go ahead and get you to notice, mm-hmm. um, and, and and again, it wasn't a matter of anybody trying to be disres- to be disrespectful as much as it was. In fact, that was a that was a learning point for me too. It was like I remember one of the pastors saying, "Ken, nobody's trying to be disrespectful here. We're just making a statement. What's what's Colin hurting by kneeling? He's being respectful. He's just taking a knee." quietly and and doing that and for my mind at that point in my life I was like but it's it's incredibly disrespectful to take a knee you're not you're not disrespecting just you know you're it's it's men and women who have fought for the flag it's it's all those things and, and you're and there surely there must be some other better way to get this conversation going than doing that and then one of the pastors said to me then if it's not working, then why are we having this conversation right now? We mm-hmm. weren't we weren't having that conversation until this happened, mm-hmm. and now you're paying attention. And so, yeah, that was it. Was mm-hmm. the beginning of several um, yeah. just really meaningful conversations. We talked about a lot of different perspectives mm-hmm. on life, and, and for me, that was just such a, a an incredible gift to be allowed a glimpse of what a what somebody else's life looks like in a context that I never had the opportunity, never, never would have been, been able to see if somebody wasn't willing to make themselves vulnerable Mm -hmm. and say, you know what, 
it's kind of painful that you would have to ask this this question in the first place that we couldn't. But here, let me go ahead and help you understand a few things. And um, just for me, it was just a really transformational thing. And I guess one of the things I was wondering, you know, we are onwards of what six years since since that conversation began with us. And of course, there was a national context. We had 2020, and we did that together. Mm-hmm. And that was that was quite a conversation as well at that point um, with with a lot of the racial issues that that really surfaced and actually uh, began, uh, you know, an even bigger uh, reckoning for the United States on these issues. I'm just curious, Puck, from where you sit, what, what are you seeing in 2023 when it comes to equality with within racial context, um, do you think that that you have different conversations with your sons than I have with my son when it comes to police, when it comes to their opportunities? What are you seeing in twenty twenty three? Is it different than two thousand seventeen? Is it uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, yeah. So some, and and I, I do think. Uh, uh, I hope we did a good job of kind of coloring how our relationship started. Yeah, uh, color was a good word to use with that, you know, <laughs> um, so that people could see. Yeah, and and literally, it it became a comfortable place to ask these kind of questions. Yeah, and I think one of the things that happened, and I'm gonna get back to what you said, was I was confident that you saw me and loved me. So even if I stumbled and kind of said the wrong thing or was a little too aggressive or dismissive, I felt like you knew my heart and you knew I wanted to be in relationship with Ken. And vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that having confidence regarding someone's heart and you might have to do some things in order for people to have that kind of confidence. Yeah. Creates the environment where you can have this kind of confidence. Well, maybe, maybe we should maybe instead of jumping to the question. No, no, but maybe don't this, let me forget. Yeah, but what were what are the things for on your end that I, I wanted to kind of go there? Yeah. What, what are the kind of things that instilled the confidence to be able to have the conversation with Ken, past who's pastoring a predominantly white yeah. church, who's obviously quite white? Um, <laughs> what kind of things? What was I able to do? Yeah, and maybe what, I can share some of the things that you did sure. that made it comfortable for me. I as mean, well. I remember our first that first meeting took place in the South Central Conference office. Right. Well, the first thing is you came. Yeah. You know, the next thing is we had that first Imagine Nashville event um, and we were concerned that when we had it at Riverside, predominantly black church, yeah. that many of the whites wouldn't come. Right. You know, I remember that. And Ken, you led and led your congregation to be there. There may have been more people from your church than my church. I don't know. I mean, but it was totally. So I think what I'm trying to say is you walked in a way to say, I'm invested in this. It wasn't a short-term, finish the conference thing, okay, bye, we'll see you later. I mean, you literally, I think the next thing you did was you you genuinely listened, you know? You, you, you took, I, I, I'm trying to slow down and pace myself because I'm just saying a bunch of things. You, you listened, 
But you also did not veil the real struggle. You didn't just listen and say, okay, white America has always been wrong. I'll take it all. You listened and said, okay, but, but what, what about this though? You challenged. You engaged. That's probably the word I want. Okay. You know what I mean? And I think it, it became clear that you were just as interested in learning as, as we wanted people to be. Man, I, I still remember uh, when we had that panel discussion, uh, everybody was marching because we had just had George Floyd and mm -hmm. the nine minutes of the knee on the neck and all this kind of stuff. And we were on the panel, and I think that was the first time it dawned on me, you were the only white male pastor who was on that panel. Is that right? Something like that. I think we... Uh, yeah. Okay. I... We, we had a, a couple of ladies, we had maybe a Hispanic, we had a few other, and I realized that you were, you were taking some hits from a variety of perspectives, but still you were willing to engage in this. You considered it important enough that you were going to spend some capital to deal with it, you know? I could probably name 15 other things. Well, I think, and and what I really, why I wanted to ask that question, because I really would like for, um, I think that for those of us who are Caucasian, and maybe even those of us who are Caucasian males, one of the big questions in our mind is, well, how do I engage in this conversation in the first place? And sometimes I think that we will run into the conversation without doing a few of the things that, and by the way, I, I God, God led me through that. I don't think that was because I was some kind of genius and knew mm -hmm. what I was doing. I think it was just, <laughs> I, honestly, I think it was because I, I really, um, when I met you, I just felt <laughs> like I'd met a kindred spirit. I just felt like I met, and I really genuinely liked you. I just really love you as a person. And so I think one of the things that I, my takeaway is, if you want to have the conversation, you need to actually love the person if you really want to have a conversation. Otherwise, it feels like maybe there's something else in there that isn't authentic, mm -hmm. that it's just like maybe, I don't know how to describe it, but because um, I'm not nearly as articulate as you are on, this, on these things, Puck, but because like all the things you described, those are things that I, I blundered into more than, mm -hmm. than but I, just, I blundered in them in the sense that I just care about you. And so for me, of course, I'm gonna show up to the panel discussion of course, I'm going to care about pain if you're feeling pain. I remember, I, I remember it, it. It blew my mind because I had a a, a church member um, who is black who was very frustrated with me because I didn't check in with them after a particular racial incident. Mm -hmm. And I, I called you up and I was like, "Puck, I don't understand why they're upset with me. I I mean, I don't call, I don't call my my uh, my white friends when there's something." You know, I, I mean, I, and, mm -hmm. and you had such a, and, and that's where I felt so comfortable to be able to call you because I knew that when I said something that, for those of you who are black, that, that sounds pretty ignorant of me to say that out loud. But for me, I just, I was like, I mean, I, yeah, it's terrible, but you're, I mean, are they related to you? Yeah, Is, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're not related to you, right? I mean, you're, I mean, it's not, and you just did such a good job of, of, of saying, hey, Ken, 
look at it this way. Mm-hmm. Understand this. Explain. And, and I was like, oh, okay. I see that. Yeah, okay. I can see why that's different than the way I had then the lens is a different lens than I've been looking at it through. But what you did to make me feel comfortable was that you acknowledged that I did genuinely care about you. And, and that if I said something that was ignorant or, or just flat out racist, mm-hmm. that you had the candor to say, Ken, I don't know if you know how that sounds, but this is what I hear when you say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the, the, the willingness to speak that way to me and to tell me that, but you also were willing to go ahead and explain to me things that, and help me see through, through a different lens than, than I'd seen through. And I think that's one of the, just been one of the really great things about our friendship is that it doesn't just revolve around you being black and me being white. We're friends on a level about we're pastors. We have a lot of commonality, but it's just a cool thing to also be able to talk about some topics that you're like, well, I don't understand this Mm -hmm. and I'd like to understand it better. And so for me, what really made it easy to have these conversations with you is that I knew you cared about me. I knew you saw me for who I want to be as opposed to who maybe I, I was, you know, some of the notions I was raised with, mm-hmm. some of the ideas that that were kind of put into me. And for me, I know this is like one of the desires I have for my children, for my church, for my congregation. I think that one of the the difficulties of a whole life church is that we are a multicultural church. It's one of the beauties of it. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm-hmm. But the one of the hard things about this is that it's very easy for us in a multicultural congregation to talk past each other, and we assume that we we understand the words that each other are speaking mm-hmm. when we don't. That I'll be saying something and you hear something completely different than what I'm trying to say, and you'll say something back that I'll hear completely different than <laughs> what you were trying to say, and then we if we're not really caring about each other, if it's just a surface friendship kind of thing, we're both offended, we walk away and are like, I'm just not going to hang around with that yeah. person anymore. I'm not going to... But if we really love somebody, if we really care about them, we go, man, that that really kind of stung when you said that. That really hurt. Or, well, do, you, do you know what you just said? Did you did you hear what you said? And rather than being offended when somebody says, well, do you, do you hear... I didn't say, I'm not a racist. Just say, oh, let me help, help me understand that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think what I said was offensive, but help me understand that. Mm-hmm. But that's what concerns me about a multicultural, multiracial church is that there's just so much room for not understanding each other mm-hmm. as we go about doing things. Um, do you have any advice for whole life on that? Yeah, man, front? I think I think you are are describing the terrain so well. It's it's almost like the <laughs> I, I have this picture in my mind of the husband who just feels like I just can't do anything right. I'm just always there. There's so many opportunities to fail, but the Bible does say love culti- covers a multitude mm. of sins. I think that when love is there, you are willing to confront. Mm-hmm. You're also willing to be confronted, mm-hmm. you know, you're willing to put in the time to 
oh, oh, we have a conflict here. You know, when there's not love there, you're like, look, I ain't got time. They all, they got such a thin skin. Why don't they move on? You know what I mean? But when love is there, I think we, we are willing, we, we count all of the potential problems worth the eventual destination. Mm. You know, I'm willing to have two hours of conversation that might be difficult with Ken because I'm going to be able to spend two months of just enjoying this guy. You know, it's yeah. worth it, you know? So, yes, I, I do think a multicultural congregation has the challenge of people feeling disregarded, not listened to, and it's so easy to assume that everybody sees things through your eyes. You know, the dominant culture can easily think that, you know, it, it, it's funny because in, in Adventism, I'm the dominant side, male pastor. Mm -hmm. In America, I'm the minority power downside, black, you know? And I realize, and I'm just kind of, I'm probably off the subject now, but I realize how easy it is for me to unknowingly miss how a female pastor is being disrespected. It doesn't even dawn on me. Yeah. Okay. That made me realize, wow, that's how Ken feels. Ken doesn't, he, it's just, I mean, how, you know what I mean? How do they know? So I think that the the minorities in whole life need to give the benefit of the doubt to the majority culture. They 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 don't know. You know, they're not trying. And I don't even like the word ignorant. You're just you're not, not aware. You know, and I think the dominant culture needs to consistently ask, "Hey, do you feel hurt? Do you feel represented?" And I think if we care about the whole, we'll put in that time. Yeah. Boy, I love that puck. That's really good. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So where are we in 2023? Yeah. Come back to that. What's interesting, um, you know, and I don't, I don't know how attuned people are to these kind of things, but, uh, there was a young man, uh, Tyree Nichols. Yeah, Memphis. Yeah. Okay. So people are aware. And what's crazy about it on the surface is that he is just brutally beaten by some police who are black. Yeah. So my culture is unfortunately kind of desensitized to that happening at the hands of white policemen. Yeah. It would kind of be like, oh yeah, no, I mean, I expect that, you know. But it was kind of weird watching that happen at the hands of some black policemen. And I read an article that really resonated with me. I believe, now I want to say a few things simultaneously, but I can only do a minute so much time. One thing that is frustrating is that, and I'm speaking in generalities as if I am the African-American. One thing that's a little frustrating is if individuals from the dominant culture say, See, that's proof that it's not a white against so-and-so. Right. No, that ain't proof of nothing. You know what I mean? That, so that erases all of these? You know what I mean? No. Yeah. 
that that's a this is a situation too. What I also think though is it highlights the fact that there can be deeply cultural things that black people imbibe because they are breathing the same air of the dominant white American culture. Mm-hmm. Please somebody tell me you believe that those black Memphis policemen would have done that to a white man. Tell me that you believe that because you don't. I don't think you do. You know what I mean? Forgive me if I'm being a little too harsh. I apologize. No, I Scale me back. For me, I just don't, I just don't think, yeah. 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 I mean, we'll, we'll talk about January 6th and whatever political persuasion somebody might have, the average African-American person in America was like almost mockingly laughing at how individuals who were terrorizing the Capitol were being escorted down the steps by the police. And if that had been the Black Lives Rally matter, they would have been shot and taken to the morgue, you know? But back to the, the, the Tyree thing, I think it speaks to the fact that even blacks have been poisoned to look at their own as less than, you know? Um, it frequently becomes a class thing, you know? It's like, oh, I can do this to him, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think it also shows that there is a th- there was a there was a line in an NWA. This is going to date me. That's a '90s rap group, okay? Where Ice Cube, okay, is saying, "Don't get." I don't remember the exact line, but this is the essence of what he's saying. Make sure you're not caught by the cop when the white cop is there because the black cop will try to beat you to get in good with the white cop. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The point that I'm trying to make is that there's even this latent concern that sometimes black cops will try to buck up a little bit more so that they can show the white cops, yeah, I disrespect them too. You know what I mean? Those are just potent, and, and, and maybe none of that's true, but those are just different ways that a black person can see that event. And we fear that whites will see the event and say, see, you all don't care about your own. Why should we care about you either? This ain't a black. Blah, blah, blah. Or, or I suspect that you're concerned that, you know, that questions, well, what, what was Tyree doing though? Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. What what was he doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I and that was kind of one of the interesting conversations because that we've had as well as that you know we were talking about our different perspectives on the police. I've always viewed the police as, um, you know, somebody to turn to when you mm-hmm. when you had a need. Uh, I I viewed the police as um, uh, Randy. Sh- <laughs> Randy's <laughs> had a different experience apparently growing up than I did, but uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but for me, no, the police have always been like you know. The, you know the friendly, you know, police officer on Mister Rogers' neighborhood yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. Right? I was actually thinking Mister Rogers yeah. before you said that. Yeah. And to overwhelmingly hear people that, and I'd always just grown up with the opinion: if you don't do anything wrong, you don't have anything to be worried about. If you if you're respectful, keep your hands on the wheel, don't mouth off. 
then you'll be fine. But if you mouth off, you know, they should show respect. But if they don't, yeah, you know, you you kind of, you know what not to do if you don't want something to happen. Mm -hmm. And it was just maybe brain exploding for me to sit in a circle of black men that I love and care about, that I know, that I know are outstanding human beings, and to hear every single one of them have a story about an encounter with the police that was completely negative, that was completely, even from my white <laughs> lens of life, completely unjustified and completely unfair. And and uh, I remember my next door neighbor, we uh, <laughs> during the quarantine, talking um, to him and... And he was a, a black gentleman as well. And 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 as I said, you know, I was explaining to him how my mind is being blown as I'm learning this. I mean, do you have like some stuff that happened to you? And this guy is a, a high up executive in a, an important organization that I won't name. And he laughed. He goes, oh, yeah, Ken. <laughs> yeah, I do have that. I do. I said, well, uh, and, and he went on to relate how he was in a bar with a, a white friend and the white friend started being provocative and doing some things that the white friend should not have been doing. Mm-hmm. And the security came and dragged him off. <laughs> yeah. And his friend was like, Hey, it was me. And they're like, no, 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 get out. <laughs> and, and it was like, wow. Yeah. And, and he had been trying to talk his friend down. Yeah. And, and uh, to me, that was just, it was a, a shift in paradigm to mm-hmm. hear your stories, to hear my, my neighbor's story. And, and to to think, okay, you have a different conversation with your sons probably than I have with my son. My son's conversation is be respectful of the police, put your hands on the wheel if you're ever pulled over, don't talk back, and everything's going to be okay. I suspect that might be a little bit of a different conversation that that than maybe you have with your sons. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just know that I've heard from some of my black friends that there's, there is a different conversation that they have. But anyway, what I really wanted to bring out of this extra bonus episode is if you feel uncomfortable hearing Puck and I talk about these things, good. You should. Because these conversations have to happen. And they're not going to happen perfectly. You may have heard me say something ignorant in this conversation or something. You're like, oh, I can't believe Ken would say that. Why would he say that? And I'm going to own it. I, you know, If I did, come and talk to me about it and let's have a conversation. But also, let's go ahead and look at each other's hearts, and let's go ahead and have the conversation, because the only way to have a conversation is to accept the fact that somebody might say something ignorant, somebody might say something hurtful, but if we can all come at it as, I'm going to love you at the end of this conversation, and even if you don't own that you said something ignorant or that you said something hurtful, I want to try to figure out how to love you through this and keep loving you so that we can keep having a conversation. I feel like that's what's going to happen. And particularly, I believe, in a church that's multicultural, that has a lot of different people in it. You know, we have um, we have Brazilians, uh, Portuguese-speaking folks here. We have Russians, Ukrainians. We have um, African-Americans. We have folks from the Caribbean. We have people from all over this, pl- mm. uh, you know, we have uh, plenty of uh, Caucasian. We have people who who work blue collar jobs. We have people who are working white collar jobs. We have a lot of different people, and there's a lot of different ways to misunderstand each other. We have a number of people from the LGBTQ community that are part of of this church, and it is very very easy for us to say something 
unthoughtful and hurtful, and then we want to cloak it in Christianity somehow, that, oh, well, you know, this, that, or another. And what I want you to hear out of the conversation that Puck and I just have been having is, if we love each other, let's have the conversation, but let's love each other. Mm-hmm. And let's start off with love before the conversation, because just going up to somebody that you don't know and going, <laughs> so tell me about your life, tell me about this, why, why, would, they, why would they do that? Mm-hmm. If I can't trust you, that you love me, I don't know that it's a safe space to have that conversation in. And so maybe we should be thinking about developing relationships, not for the sake of of trying to get information, but just because we we see another person, we we love them and care about them, and then let the conversations happen as they are. I don't know. Is this making sense to you, Buck? Oh, definitely, or man. And, what do you and, think? And you're sparking things in my head that I want to you know resonate with. But most definitely, I, I think that you are you are identifying the potential in in your particular congregation in, in whole life but because of the potential there also for good there's also potential for for conflict and for challenging relationships and for hurt you know i i want to affirm i think frequently the 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 dominant majority culture white male in this particular conversation is is challenged for what uh, hasn't been done. But I want to affirm the power of doing. Um, I recently, a few weeks ago, preached in Selma, Alabama. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is where the march on the march to Montgomery started. And, you know, uh, they met on the bridge, my wife and I actually walked on the bridge, uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge, and you know they're stopped and told you're not going any further. It's called Bloody Sunday, all of this stuff. Okay. Well, there was a white pastor. I think his name was Reeb. I'm not sure. Okay, and he marched with them. Ended up losing his life. Mm. Um, he was beat down by some other whites who were upset because he was marching with the blacks. But it was whites who used their power to come down from the north, join in that march, and say, we're going to get beside you because we see this as unjust. The civil rights movement would not have been successful if whites with power did not align themselves on the part of the oppressed. And one of the things personally that I appreciate about you, Ken, is I watched you. And, and you know, hey, you know, I'm not Martin Luther King and you're not James Reeb. I recognize <laughs> no. we weren't doing these major things. But in our own little spheres, being able in a conversation around a dinner table to use your power to say, Hey, I'm not sure we listen to so and so. So and so, do you want to speak to that? You know, using our power to empower the disenfranchised. And I think you mentioned earlier, probably in the previous episode, that uh, we tend to to benefit when we hear the gospel from different perspectives. Yeah. 
well, because my experience in America is one of being oppressed, I gravitate to the fact that Jesus was always on the side of the oppressed. Jesus identified, used his power to, you know, empower the woman who gave her little widow's might, you know, used his power to empower Mary with her alabaster box in front of Simon. And I want to encourage uh, whites. I want to encourage those, it, whatever, it could be class, it could be money, so-and-so. Whoever has power at whole life, decide that you're going to use that influence and power. It could be you have power because you've been here the longest. Use that to give a voice to the person who just got here. Use your power for the powerless. What a good place to wrap that up. I like it. All right. Sounds good. I like it a lot. Puck, thank you so much. Oh, man. Just appreciate you coming down uh, to Orlando and spending uh, time with us. And man, I miss having these conversations face to face. So I'm glad that there's phones, but it's not the same as having having you here. So thank you so much. Appreciate your friendship. And uh, Randy, back to you. I was just going to tell everyone that I will have the links for... Dana Edmonds' message from last year. So if you swipe up in the show notes for this episode, you will find both the message and a link to his podcast, which we did in a forum in the church, which audio wasn't exceptionally great on that. But if you do, uh, it's a little bit of audio attrition. So my apologies to start with that didn't come off quite as well as I'd hoped, but it, it was telling. We had uh, people asking questions and, and he was answering. And so as much like today, there were, uh, you know, there were difficult questions uh, lobbied that day as well. And so I appreciate the fact that we've never shied away from those conversations here, at least since I've been here uh, six or seven years. And so, you know, I, I like what you said uh, to finish up. Whoever has the power, let's be leveraging that, whatever it is. And if you don't think you have power, you do. You just maybe haven't realized what it is. Let's leverage whatever we can in love for those who mm-hmm. don't have the same power as we do or who don't have the voice. And so... And being a, an advocate is tough work, but that's where the love comes in. If you love someone, you'll advocate for them. And I, I think they were, I think we're a loving place, and I have a lot of hope for you know the conversations moving forward. So, Buck, thanks for thanks for having that. And Ken, good idea. Yeah, and I just want to you know I just want to affirm whole life. I'm not seeing this as a major issue at the church, but as we're becoming more diverse, I want us to be aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's more than anything because it's. One of the things that concerns me is what uh, uh, Dana touched on last year is that as a church becomes my di- more diverse, oftentimes people who look like me go somewhere else, mm. and you know the whole white flight thing. And what I just want to just put out there is, let's go ahead and have the conversation. Let's go ahead and embrace uncomfortableness because. If you're not feeling uncomfortable, you're probably not growing. And whenever we're going to be in a situation where things are changing and where things aren't the way, it, the easy thing is just to be to kind of just slowly fade into the background. Or it's easy to misunderstand somebody else or whatever. And so, like I said, not an issue that I feel like I'm seeing a lot of or a big problem here at Whole Life. So don't I, I I don't want people to try to read into this that Ken thinks that there's <laughs> major problems and he's really concerned because I'm not. But what I am trying to do is have a ahead of time conversation as we become as we continue to diversify to grow. Let's really hear each other. Let's love each other well, and let's 
leverage the power that we have on behalf of others, mm-hmm. like Puck said. I think it's great. And just to kind of to piggyback on what Ken just said as we wrap up, I have a text here. I don't know if you're in this with the inclusion team. And so we have an inclusion team here that uh, my wife and I went to Ken oh, over a year ago. And and for us, it was a special needs. Uh, we have a special needs child. And so that was the spark that moved us forward. And right now, my wife has got a lot on her plate. She was kind of the leader. And uh, Jasmine, if you're listening, super awesome, super proud of you. She's decided to take this over as the the leader. And my wife's going to continue to help and lead. And But, you know, we have Freud, our family life pastor, on this text. And I'm getting this text thread as we're doing this, this podcast. And for anyone that feels the, like maybe you don't have the power and you need to be seen and you need to be heard, there are people working diligently right now at Whole Life Church to make sure that everybody doesn't, that like nobody finds a barrier to finding Jesus here. And so mm-hmm. I think that's part of the culture that, you know, we're working hard to create to the best of our abilities. And those do have a lot of uncomfortable conversations as well. So I think as a whole, um, it's just, just know that there's a lot happening. And if you feel like there's a place you can fit in to help those conversations, Anyone like Puck and Ken who feel like, hey, I'm okay with having these and maybe I can be a facilitator, maybe I can help some way, uh, reach out to a staff member. We'd love to uh, have more people that are willing to have those and keep that conversation moving forward. So thanks again. This was a great conversation. And thanks, you guys, for listening. Please do share this episode. These are conversations that you may not have at your church or you may not have in your family that, you know, maybe need to be and if it's a conversation starter, we're happy to be a part of it. So please do share. And I know that you've done that because I see that in the numbers. So thank you, Whole Life. We'll catch you all again on the next bonus, hopefully soon. 